Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome back to Oof! Right in the Childhood. I'm Jen and this is a podcast where I watch the Disney animated feature films in the order in which they were released and react to them from a modern standpoint. Most of these movies I haven't watched in over a decade so I get to watch them with fresh eyes. This usually leads to the realization that maybe my Disney steeped childhood had some problematic elements. Yeah, maybe. Today, I'm going to talk about Pinocchio from 1940, aka the movie I can never spell. If you're curious, there is one N and two C's, but I always get them backwards. Before we go too far into this, I would like to acknowledge that this film uses a racist slur toward the Romani people. My reaction to the film has an acknowledgement of that slur, and I also want to say, don't call people that. It's not okay. The purpose of this podcast is not to educate you on why but maybe give it a Google when you're done. But first, let's talk about the film and how it came to be. The story of Pinocchio was written by a Tuscan man named Carlo Collodi in 1883, and when you watch the movie, you can tell that's when it's set. After Snow White was released to great box office success, Disney had planned to release a wildlife film called Bambi. However, they hadn't quite figured out how to draw the animals right, so when one of his animators showed Walt a translation of The Adventures of Pinocchio, to quote the animator, Walt was busting his guts with enthusiasm to animate the little wooden puppet. However, there was a small problem. The original book has Pinocchio as inhuman and cruel. In short, he's a jerk. Disney didn't want to release a movie with a jerk as its star, they wanted their puppet to be lovable. They also had some disagreement with how puppet-like he should appear. About half the animators thought he should look exactly like a puppet, while others wanted him to look like a boy with wooden joints. There was a fight. One of the human proponents showed Walt a test animation of his vision, and Walt determined that they would make Pinocchio more human than puppet. They also added a new character to the film, Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy wasn't in the original book, but Walt felt that Pinocchio was too gullible without some other outside force to help him. The movie cost the studio $2.3 million to produce, which by today's standards is about $42.1 million, and people loved it. The problem was, it was released just as World War II was cutting off international markets, so the film only made about $1.5 million by the end of 1940. 
They re-released the film in 1945 and eventually brought in $3.2 million worldwide, but the movie still lost about $90,000, or $1.3 million when adjusted for inflation. But the thing is, Pinocchio is still considered one of the greatest movies of all time. It's one of those movies that has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And as Disney re-released the movie after the war, this began to be reflected in its finances. By 1973, Pinocchio had made $13 million in just the U.S. and Canadian box offices. That's $75.4 million today. Its current lifetime gross is over $85 million, which, just like Snow White, we can't adjust for inflation, because all the sums are from different eras. It also consistently makes the list of best animated movies of all time, so though there are definitely some problematic elements, it is beautifully animated and superbly well done. This podcast is sponsored by my patrons on Patreon. I love creating content for you, and becoming a patron on my Patreon helps me cover hosting fees and upgrade the equipment I use while allowing me to minimize ad time and promote small businesses. For as little as $5 a month, you can also access an ad-free version of the podcast. For information on my Patreon, please visit my website at oofmychildhood.com. If you're pregnant, you know you stop feeling like your body is your own. Strangers want to touch you and tell you how to raise your future miniature human. Get yourself back by going to pregamers.com. Pregamers is dedicated to creating pregnancy and postpartum wear for geeks, gamers, and nerds. Whether you're looking for a Lord of the Rings-themed top or a pair of leggings that looks like a circuit board, they're there for you. And because Pregamers knows that not all pregnant people are female, an ever-increasing number of their designs are available in unisex cuts to help you feel more comfortable in your body. Check out their designs now at P-R-E-G-G-A-M-E-R-S dot com. That's Pregamers dot com. All of the following is commentary on the film as I see it now, in 2020. My views are not that of the Disney company. The movie starts right off the bat with a fourth wall break from Jiminy Cricket. You can really see the improvement in animation from Snow White to this. There's a lot less jittering of lines. Jiminy is homeless and finds a home to shelter in. He proceeds to react to all the statues on the shelves as if they're real people. And it's just hilarious. Geppetto is making a new wooden puppet and his cat Figaro is super jealous. As a current human servant to two cats, this is the most truthfully cat thing I've ever seen. They go to bed, and Geppetto requires Figaro to open the window. I'm pretty sure that the human, Geppetto, is so much more well-equipped to do this, so why? Geppetto wishes on a star that Pinocchio would come to life, and then goes to sleep. The blue fairy comes down and gives Pinocchio life, but he needs a conscience. Enter Jiminy! Why a cricket for a conscience? I have no idea. Jiminy tells Pinocchio to give a little whistle if he needs his conscience, which makes two movies in a row with songs about whistling. That's an interesting theme. But here's the thing. If Pinocchio doesn't have a conscience, how does he know if something needs a conscience? I mean, theoretically, he could murder someone and just not know that's wrong. As they sing and dance, they wake up Geppetto. 
He has a flintlock under his pillow, which I never noticed, and he's pretty bad at gun safety. Can you imagine waking up in the middle of the dang night to discover your puppet has come to life? They've literally made horror movies about this. Geppetto reacts appropriately by freaking the heck out. As Pinocchio explains all of this, Figaro gets water dumped on him and then gets his petting session cut short. I always felt like he got a raw deal throughout the movie. As I rewatched this movie, I started to wonder things about which came first with traditions in this movie. Did kiddos bring apples to their teachers before 1940, or was that an idea that the movie gave them? Did the starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight rhyme come from the movie or tradition? Someone let me know. Email me at oofmychildhood at gmail.com. There's a walking, talking, cigar-smoking fox with a human-sized cat, and no one seems to notice in this town full of humans. Also, they immediately call someone named Stromboli a slur that begins with G. At the time this was created, and the time it's set in, that was just a word. It doesn't make it right, but speaking as someone who has been working on educating herself, I really only learned that this was offensive about five or six years ago. So, okay, apart from racist slurs, there's literally 400,000% more story in the first half of this film than in the whole of Snow White. The fox proceeds to spell Pinocchio as easily as I do. The captions told me that his name is Honest John, which seemed exactly right. Once his name is said, Jiminy reacts to him being named Honest John with exactly as much sarcasm as I do. One scene I would have loved to see added to the movie is the conversation between Stromboli and Honest John. That would have been really interesting to hear Honest John explain, No really, he's wooden, but he's alive. As we lead into I've Got No Strings, Stromboli speaks Italian. I don't, and there are no captions for me to try to translate. I'd love to know what Stromboli says in these scenes. Pinocchio sings this amazingly fun song about how he has no strings, but he's still super clumsy. I suppose that's what happens when you've only walked for a few hours. Then we move on to weirdly sexualized puppets. I'd bust my strings for you, and I'd cut my strings for you, and other amazing lyrics come out of this song, and Jiminy gets a little creepy about the culturally stereotyped lady puppets, so what's a 1940s cartoon without some weird sexualization and off-the-cuff racism? Oof! right in the childhood. Jiminy walks off saying, what does an actor want with a conscience anyway? And the irony of an actor being paid to say that line is not lost on me. Geppetto is worried about where Pinocchio is, as he should be. He's prepared a fish for Figaro, and there's a piece of cake hanging down into Cleo's bowl. That feels like it's both impossible and it's not good for her health. Stromboli is heading to Constantinople, and now, thanks to Google, I know that Istanbul only came to be in 1930, and it's recent enough to this movie that it makes sense that they'd use the old name, and given that the story is set in the 1880s, it also makes sense. Stromboli locks Pinocchio in a cage, and the Blue Fairy comes to save him, but he lies off his butt about how he got there. And we get to the most well-known thing about Pinocchio. His nose grows when he lies. But the thing is, that only happens once during the movie, and it seems so weird that that's the one thing we identify with Pinocchio above all else. Meanwhile, Honest John is staying at Red Lobster. Fun facts. I wonder if they have Cheddar Bay Biscuits. He's bragging about tricking Pinocchio for practically no money. He's so proud of being a jerk. 
The coachman wants him to collect stupid little boys. I really like how this movie goes out of its way to drop that virtue statement of stupid boys play hooky from school and are dishonest. Nice semi-subliminal lesson there, Disney. There's a law against taking people to Pleasure Island, but the coachman says there's no risk because they never come back. But that's not how that works. That feels like a reason there's a lot of risk. Honest John sees Pinocchio on his way back to the town and proceeds to diagnose him with the same technical language as Grey's Anatomy. What's the cure? Pleasure Island. Because of course it is. They stuff a whole bunch of boys into a coach and a boat and now we're on Pleasure Island. There's a lot going on here. Uh, I'm going to go through some gems. Let's poke someone in the nose for the fun of it. Tobacco Row has racist depictions of Native Americans handing out Quote, cigars, cigarettes, and chewing tobacco. There's a model home open for destruction so the kids can do whatever they like to this beautiful mansion. Lampy strikes a match on the Mona Lisa. And there are shadowy minions locking them in. I need information on the shadowy minions. The coachman says jackass because this was the day when rated G movies could say that. Jiminy sees right through this and suddenly there are not very many boys. Just Lampy and Pinocchio. Is the donkey transmutation hurried by their badness? If so, does that mean Lampy is the best of them? What were the other boys like? Pinocchio is smoking, but he doesn't have lungs? And Lampy makes fun of him for smoking like his grandmother, and that's an insult for you. Again, we have a virtue lesson of not smoking a cigar too quickly. And playing pool is bad too... Pinocchio begins his transformation, and I want to know if he turns into a wooden donkey? If not, how does this magical island's transmutation properties work? Also, how does this island's transmutation properties work even if he doesn't turn into a flesh and bone donkey? Uh, this whole thing feels real useful under the right circumstances. Apparently, as soon as you leave the island, the transformation stops. So Pinocchio just has a tail and ears because that makes sense. Geppetto is missing, and after telling him she would not help him anymore, the blue fairy immediately provides more help. He was swallowed by a whale at the bottom of the sea, and none of those things make sense. Jiminy tries to talk Pinocchio out of jumping into the ocean, but at the same time he encourages it. Quote, I've heard Monstro is terrible. He'll swallow whole ships. Tie your tail good and tight right now. He's mean. The scene with Pinocchio swimming down to find Geppetto was the test animation that convinced Walt to make him more human-like, by the way. As someone who has a biology degree, it's really hard to ignore all the medical impossibilities of a whole ship being in the belly of a whale, but we'll move on from that. They proceed to light the boat on fire to make Monstro sneeze. Okay, sure, that's a thing. Geppetto is such a pessimist. What were you going to do? Just wait to become ambergris? Was that your move? I just, I just don't know what he was planning to do. And Monstro is M-A-D mad. How dare you make me sneeze and escape from my stomach where I wasn't getting any nutritional benefit from you anyway. They escape, but he destroys the raft and he's still mad. Pinocchio won't leave his dad for whale bait and he's actually pretty smart to see a cave where they can escape. Monstro's going to have a headache tomorrow. Cleo washes up in her bowl, fully intact, with water in it. How do goldfish do in salt water? I'm guessing not well. 
Where Snow White had virtually no story in an hour and 28 minutes, this sucker is the same length, but it feels like it's over two hours just because of the volume of the story. Geppetto wakes to find Pinocchio face down in the water, which is fine because, again, he does not have lungs. But Geppetto is convinced that he's dead. To quote South Park, what has no life cannot die. And Geppetto doesn't listen ever. He brings Pinocchio home and he's crying. And Pinocchio says, why are you crying? Because you're dead. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're dead, dead, dead. He's going to be a great dad. They dance. Jiminy gets a conscience badge. He says it's solid gold, but it's 18 carat. And dear Jiminy, 18 carat is not solid gold. The end. And the beginning of When You Wish Upon a Star being the underlying Disney theme. Something I'd never seen is the alternative ending. In this ending, Pinocchio crawls out of the water and finds his father on the beach, apparently dead. He sobs on his father's chest while crying, and the blue fairy makes him a real boy. Geppetto wakes up to find Pinocchio alive and real, and they're thrilled. And I guess that was the quick ending. There's also this story of Pinocchio's grandfather, who was a pine tree and the monarch of the forest. That's, um, does he compete with Bambi's father? Or how does that work? And also, wouldn't all the trees in that forest be his children, grandchildren, etc.? How is it determined? There's actually nothing more to this story. It's pretty boring. His grandfather was a great tree. The end. This episode's cover art is provided by Shasha. You can find more of her art on her Instagram. There's a link to her Instagram in the show notes and on the show's website at oofmychildhood.com. If you'd like to provide cover art for a future episode, head over to the website. We have a form to submit your art as well as the details for what the requirements are. Just click Submit Your Art to have your piece considered for a future episode. My theme music was composed and played by Sean Rudolph of Let Music Be. For more information on that studio, you can visit their website at letmusic.be or visit my website for an easy link. Transcripts are edited and finalized by Melissa Wilmot. You can find transcripts for each episode on my website, and if you check out my YouTube channel, I have captioned video versions of each episode as they're published. I do my best to provide YouTube videos and transcripts at the same time as each podcast episode is released. But if this one isn't up yet, you can always check on my website for an update and a link to the appropriate video. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Oof! Right in the Childhood. I hope you come back to discuss Disney through modern eyes. This podcast is written, recorded, and edited by me. I release a new episode every Monday through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other podcatchers. If you liked this episode, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this show. That helps people find the show. Also, come join me on social media. You can search for Oof! Right in the Childhood on Facebook or Twitter, and my Twitter handle is OofMyChildhood. You can also email me at oofmychildhood at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.